Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Today we're going to be reading 1 through 6. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also, also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jonathan. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. You know, I love it when um, we worship in song, and I feel like the songs have already exegeted our text. If you don't know what the term exegete means, it just means to interpret. Uh, This is what I and the other elders do when we come up and we teach is we're focused on the words that matter. You realize it's the words that are written in this book that have been inspired. They are the words that are life-changing. Anything that I say, anything that a song declares is only fruitful and life-changing to the degree that it speaks well about this. And I feel like our songs have already exegeted the text. I mean, we could almost say amen, read the text, we sang, and go home. But I think we need to do a little more than that because I think we, we need to consider all the more what this text is saying. If I were to ask you, you don't have to answer out loud, but if I were to ask you, what is your greatest need right now? How would you answer that? I imagine in a crowd this size, we would get all kinds of answers because we all got needs and all God's children got different needs. So you might, if I were to ask you, what's your greatest need right now? You might say something to do with your marriage, with your finances, something to do with your children, something to do with school or your career. You might say something to do with your health. And you know what? In the right setting, you ask me that question, that's probably where my mind's going to go first as well. But here's the reality, and you know this, we all know this, Christians know this, if we stop and think about it, our greatest need is to hear from God. That is our greatest need. So just pause right there and let all of your needs, all the things that you might have first thought of When I raise the question, what's your greatest need? Let all of those things fade into the background for just a minute and sit and stare at what is truly your greatest need. 
You and I need to hear from God. If there is a sovereign God who created all of this and is ruling all of, uh, over all of this, has purpose in all of this, then obviously, more than our health, more than our relationships, more than our finances, our careers, our education, more than considerations about an election year and what's going on in governments and world powers, what we need is we need to hear from God. We need to know who he is. And we need to know what he's up to. Consider Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. One more time. I've told you that Hebrews is constantly building and being built upon. As we work through this book, probably more so than any other book we've worked through, we're going to keep going back and looking ahead and landing where we are. It's just, it's all connected. Here's where it started. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. So we're hearing from God to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us how? By his son. The final and decisive word from God has come to us via his son, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And if the author of Hebrews has been doing anything for these first two chapters... It has been leading us to consider the supremacy of Christ and the absolute suicidal nature of ignoring him. You don't get to ignore him forever. I don't know, I feel like I need to say that again because maybe some of you need to hear that. You might be ignoring him. You might be trivializing him. You might be giving him a token acknowledgement. You might even hold him in somewhat high regard, like you're intrigued. You know, interestingly enough, my son goes to a Bible study that's led by students at his homeschool co-op. And this Wednesday he went and they were in Hebrews chapter 6. And he couldn't wait for me to get home so he could tell me about it. And, and, and I was like, well, tell me what, what you were wrestling with in Hebrews chapter 6. And, and we're going to get there, okay? I'm not going to unpack it now. But in Hebrews chapter 6, we read about people who have tasted the heavenly gift. People who have tasted and have in some way been around and a part of the things of God. But the author of Hebrews says that once they have rejected, it is impossible to restore them to repentance. And my son, with a great big grin on his face, said to me, he said, boy, we had a hot debate about that one. <laughs> and I said to him, I said to him, what do you think that means, son? What was your take on this? And he's like, I don't know. But he said, I think what Hebrews is talking about there is people, this is, these were his words, people who have been intrigued by God but have never surrendered to God. People who have some interest, right? They're maybe in, enthralled with the things of God to a certain degree, but they've never actually bowed their knee to this Jesus. And I was like, son, I think you're right. Can you prove it? And he said, no. And so I said to him, I said, keep reading. Keep reading. And, and he kept reading in chapter 6, and he came to the verse where it says, but concerning you, brothers, we are more confident because we believe that you, are, you, you understand things pertaining to salvation. 
So I think he was starting to understand that there are people who might be around the church, might have been a part of the church, might have been involved in things with church, might have even seen God work and do things in people's lives and gone, that's good. But if they haven't considered the fact that in these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. Who is the son? He's the one who's been appointed the heir of all things. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He's the one through whom God created everything. He is the one who has made propitiation for sins. He is our merciful and faithful high priest. He was made lower than the angels like us and tasted death for us all so that we could be set free from the slavery to the fear of death. It's this Jesus, and you can't ignore him forever. We must consider Jesus. Everybody say consider. This is the instruction that comes to us in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read it again. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The word means to consider carefully, which we might think is something that needs to be offered to unbelievers. And certainly it does. If you're not a believer here this morning, the most loving thing I can tell you is that you need to carefully consider Jesus. But I want us to notice that this instruction is not given to unbelievers. It's given to brothers, holy brothers, who share in a heavenly calling. People who have received a full pardon. Jesus is our all-sufficient it is done, paid in full, no more debt I owe. That's who, people who believe that, people who realize that, that's who the author of Hebrews is talking to. People for whom Jesus' sacrifice was propitiatory, wrath exhausting, right? The wrath of God has been satisfied. That's what we just sang. It's people who believe that and who's who have, who have now been gifted the righteousness of Christ, that the author of Hebrews says, you need to consider Jesus. These kinds of people, consider Jesus who is our apostle, sent one, who is our high priest. He is the mediator of our reconciliation. So it's this Jesus who was sent from God to bring the revelation of God to us. What's our greatest need? We need to hear from God. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, who is the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He is our apostle, our sent one, who brings the revelation of God, and he is our high priest. Because once you hear from God and once you know God, here's what you come to realize, is that you need to be reconciled to God. And you can't do that on your own. So by a sacrifice of his own blood, he makes propitiation for sins. He exhausts the wrath of God and he makes a way for us to be reconciled to God. Amen? And this is our confession. Read again. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. What does that mean? It means that's our collective agreement. It's why you say amen. And, and let's just consider for a minute. That's a miracle. Yeah. 
<laughs> if I were to just get everybody's opinion on the election year right now, whoa, we have a diverse set of perspectives, right? But here's our collective agreement that is owing only to the grace of God and the work of his spirit in us. There is a confession among us. There is a collective agreement that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our apostle. He's the one who's been sent to reveal the Father to us. He is God the Son, and he is our high priest. He has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. That is our confession. So Christians who share that confession, consider Jesus. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm a Christian. I've already done that. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. That's how we tend to think. We tend to think if I'm a Christian, then I've considered Jesus. I've checked that box. Now I can just get on with life. It's kind of like when Mary and I go through premarital counseling with couples. We have yet to have a, pers a prospective husband who is not shocked by the fact that his prospective wife does not, her, her greatest need is not for him to be a financial provider. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Are y'all with me, ladies? Y'all don't want a lazy man. Y'all don't want a stupid man. But your greatest desire, huh? Amen. Amen. Your wife's getting excited over here, Stan. I don't know what's going on. You need a man who's an emotional provider to you. And you know what? Here's what we do, men. This is what we do, and you know this. We, walk to the, we, we go to the front of the church. She comes down the aisle. We say, I do. And our thought is, I said, I do. And I'll let you know if that changes. I said, I do. So I did. That's all you need to know. How many of the ladies would say amen? You need to hear your husband say I do every day. Amen. A little free advice, husbands. If you want to live well in your marriage, out of genuine, glad-hearted affection for her, let her know every day that you're still saying I do. Husbands, you will never grow up out of the need to be an emotional provider for your wife. Now, I could talk to the wives too, but I'm using this as an example to say, Christians, we are never going to grow up out of our need to consider Jesus. On the daily, I read someone not that long ago who said, I have to wake up every morning and get happy in Jesus. Like that's my greatest need is to consider him and taste the joy of my salvation and taste the glory of his goodness and his mercy and his faithfulness. You're never going to grow up out of your need to consider Jesus. He is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. We're only starting chapter two. And can I just go ahead and prepare us? We got 10 more chapters of Jesus considering to do. And apparently God thinks we need that. 
It's interesting to me that despite all the rigorous debate among scholars for centuries, we do not know who wrote this book. I think that's actually by God's design. Because some have, some have called the book of Romans Paul's magnum opus on the gospel, and I think that's probably right. Hebrews might be the father himself's magnum opus on the glory of his son. And we need to consider Jesus. Here's my admonishment to you. Let all of your other needs fade into the background for a while. Maybe today. Maybe for the duration of the study of this letter. And consider Jesus. The apostle And the high priest of our confession, our collective agreement that he is the one sent from God to reveal the Father to us and to make a way for us to be reconciled to God. What is it that we're being led to consider about Jesus in chapter 3? Let me read it again. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him talking about the father who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Here is the consideration at the beginning of chapter 3. Consider Jesus who is greater than Moses. Wah, wah, wah. Well, of course he is. We Gentiles don't think well about Moses. Moses is not a big deal to us. Moses is a Sunday school caricature in our mind. Pharaoh, let my people go. We think of flannel graphs that picture a burning bush and Moses standing there. Or, you know, we got these little fairy tale images in our mind about who this guy Moses is. But just consider for a minute. Moses led the nation of God's people, a million to two million people, out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. Moses was the one through whom God brought the ten plagues, the last of whom was the angel of death, and it was through Moses that Passover was instituted. Think about Moses who parted the Red Sea. Jesus walked on water. Moses walked on dry land where water once was. Think about Moses, through whom God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, all the thou shalt nots came through Moses. Moses was the one who led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years, called down manna from heaven, called water out of a rock, Their shoes did not wear out. Their clothes did not wear out. They went through the wilderness, and he led them to the threshold of the land that was promised to their forefather Abraham centuries before. That's Moses. And Moses actually served as a high priest. He was a mediator. Do you all remember when they got to Mount Sinai and they built the golden calf? Y'all heard that story? If you don't know that, when, 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 when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt through, through Moses, using Moses, they come to Mount Sinai, and Moses starts going up the mountain to get the law of God. 
and he's up there a while. And people get impatient. Y'all don't do that, but the children of Israel got impatient. They, they were getting impatient because the Bible says he was delayed. He was up there, right? And how many of you understand, if you're up there having a conversation with God, you don't say to the maker of heaven and earth, um, I need to go. He's up there a while, and they get anxious. They get bored, and so they talk Aaron into building out of gold a calf, an idol that they start to worship. And as you can imagine, just, just keep in mind, they've come out of Egypt. They've come through the Red Sea. They've watched God destroy the armies of Egypt. They know they are headed to the land that was promised to their forefather Abraham, a land that supposedly is flowing with milk and honey. That sounds great, right? They know where this is going, and when Moses comes down the mountain, they're worshiping this golden calf. Moses is hot, and God is hot. And here's what God says to the people through Moses when this happens. Exodus chapter 33, verses 3 and 4. Look at this on the screen. God says through Moses to the people, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. In other words, God says, all right, this is what you want to do? Head on to the land, and I'm not going with you because if I go, because you're a stiff-necked people, I might wipe you out on the way. Does that sound like what you're used to hearing from God? In the church, we talk a lot about God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He has a wonderful plan for your life. He doesn't want you to be sick. doesn't want you to be poor. doesn't want you to have any problems. wants you to be comfortable and happy and, and at ease as possible until you die and you skeet in the back door of heaven. That's what we think we want. We don't want a God that looks at his, his own people and says, I'm not going with you. You can go, but I'm not going. And how did the people respond? When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on any ornaments. That's the right response, isn't it? When a perfectly holy and righteous God who rules over all looks at us in our sin and says, I'm judging. My wrath's going to be poured out because of this. I'm not, I'm not in relationship with sin. The right response is to mourn, to grieve. And that's what they do. So what does Moses do? You got to imagine Moses. He's, he's caught between a rock and a hard place, right? I mean, he's been up on the mountain conversing with God and the people have rebelled. And now God says, this is over. I'm not going with you. Well, Moses decides to put up a tent outside the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And the Bible says that when Moses went into the tent, God would speak to him face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And when Moses would go into the tent to speak with God, the pillar of cloud, y'all remember that? And when they came out of Egypt, they were led by a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. When Moses went into the tent of meeting, the pillar of cloud would descend on the tent and the people, the whole nation would stand to their feet around the tent and they would worship and pray and they would wait to see what is God going to say through Moses. I want you to remember the cloud. Remember the cloud. We'll come back to that. Here's what happened. Moses goes in the tent, Exodus 33 verse 15. 
And he said to, to him, talking about Moses talking to God, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, pay attention, the very thing that you have spoken, I will do. Why? Not because of the people and their performance. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses was a mediator. Moses stood in the gap in this incredible moment. The journey to the promised land seemed to be off. wasn't going to happen. But Moses went into the tent, met with God. The pillar of cloud descends, and God relents and says, All right, I'll do it, Moses, but I'll do it because you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. Moses was a mediator. He was a faithful high priest. You tracking? But consider Jesus. Jesus is greater than Moses. Why? Mo he, the author of Hebrews is not negative about Moses. The fa in fact, the first thing he does is he makes a positive comparison and says that both Moses and Jesus were faithful to God who appointed them. But Moses is worthy of more glory Excuse me, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses because Jesus is the builder of the house and Moses is just part of the house. In other words, Jesus is greater and worthy of more glory than Moses because he created Moses. As great as Moses was, Jesus created Moses. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers how? in the prophets, prophets like Moses. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he created the world. That word is aeon, it's the ages and everything and everyone that has ever or will ever exist in the ages. How many of you know that includes Moses? Jesus is greater than Moses because Jesus created Moses and Verse 4, Hebrews 3, he not only created Moses, but verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is who? Whoa, the builder of all things is God, which means if Jesus created Moses, then Jesus is God. He's divine. He's God the Son. He is the exact imprint of his nature and the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is greater than Moses because Jesus created Moses. And if he created Moses, that means Jesus is God. And how many of you know God is the one by whom and for whom all things exist? Which means if Jesus created Moses, that means G Moses was created for Jesus. Jesus not, Moses was not only made by Jesus, he was made for Jesus. Remember Jesus' transfiguration? Somewhere, I don't know, maybe nearing the end of his earthly ministry, <clears throat> Jesus grabs Peter and John, and he goes up on a mountain to pray. When he gets up on the mountain... 
Peter and John fall asleep and Jesus is transfigured. In other words, his glory, the radiance of his glory as God the Son was revealed on that mountain. As he's standing there, here's what happens while Peter and John are asleep. Luke chapter 9, verse 30 and 31. And behold, two men were talking with Jesus. Who? Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Everybody say departure. Which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. There is Jesus transfigured on the mountain speaking with Moses and Elijah. The law and the prophets. That's amazing. And they're talking with him about his departure. That word is exodus. What's happening? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are having a conversation about his coming death in Jerusalem and all that it would accomplish. That's incredible. But then Peter wakes up. And you can imagine if you're in Peter's shoes, you wake up and you see there's Jesus, there, there's Moses, and there's Elijah, and they're talking, and there's glory everywhere. And so what does Peter do? Y'all remember what he suggests? He goes, this is awesome, Jesus. Let's put up three tents. Three tents. Three shelters. Three tabernacles. Is it possible that when Peter saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah standing there in glory, having a conversation, that his mind went back to Moses in the tent of meeting, where Moses spoke with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. I think Peter, with as much information as he had, was probably thinking, well, something significant's happening here. We got Jesus, and yes, we're all about Jesus. We got Moses. Can you imagine? I mean, how many of you have actually had this sort of thought fantasy, like one day we're going to be in heaven, we're going to actually get to talk to Moses? Like, does he actually have the long white beard? Does he look like Charlton Heston? I don't know. And Elijah... Is he still going to be dressed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist? Like, what, what's that going to be like? Can you imagine Peter? He's, he's, he's heard about these guys. He's read about these guys. And now they're standing there talking with Jesus. His mind goes back and he's like, you know what? When Moses met with God, there was a tent. They met in the tent. Maybe we, what we should do, the best thing we could do is put up three tents for all three of these powerhouse people. They're standing here on this mountain. Y'all remember the cloud? Luke chapter 9, verse 34 and 35. I wonder if Peter was thinking, maybe not in a wicked way, but he was thinking, you know what? Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, equal footing in terms of God's representatives, God's mediators, God's voice to us, his people. Maybe they're on the same shelf. So let's build three tents. Now watch what happens, verse 34. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. They entered the cloud. 
People of Israel didn't do that around the tent. It's almost like they come into the cloud and now they're put on equal footing with Moses and Elijah. The cloud overshadowed them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud and then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. There's an echo of these words in Hebrews. This is my son. Consider my son. He is the high priest. He is the apostle of your confession. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He's greater than Moses because he made Moses. Moses was made by him and Moses was made for him. Moses is part of the house. Jesus is the builder of the house. This is my son. Listen to him. But Jesus is also worthy of more glory than Moses because, verse 5 and 6 of chapter 3, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Remember how we've talked about that the pro- with God it's only and always been plan A. All of God's speaking in the prophets has only and always been pointing to Jesus. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Moses was a servant in the house of God. Jesus is the son over the house of God. The difference between a servant and a son is that the son, by inheritance, owns the house, is Lord over the house, and he provides for the house out of his wealth. In other words, as the son, Jesus is able to provide for those in the house in a way that a servant like Moses never could. How is that? Let's first consider this if clause. Did that if clause trip up anybody? We are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and the boasting of our hope. An if clause can be conditional. I will sell you my car if you pay me. Right? But an if clause can also, and you know this, an if clause can also be evidential. It can be evidence. It's raining outside if the sidewalk is wet. I think the confidence that we have in Christ and the boasting of our hope is a wet sidewalk. It's the evidence. It's the evidential work of God in us, in his son. And we will hold fast to it. I thought I'd get a better amen. We will hold fast to it. How do you know? Well, I promise, pinky swear. No. John chapter 6, verse 39 and 40. Moses was a great servant in the house, and he was part of the house. Jesus is the builder of the house, and he is the son over the house. You tracking? So the son who is the builder and the Lord and the provider of the house said this, John chapter 6, verse 39. 
And this is the will of him who sent me. Jesus is our apostle. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. He's our high priest. But raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Guess what? You're holding fast to your confidence, and the boasting or the exultation of your hope in Christ is owing only to the grace of God and the work of the Son who's Lord over the house. And the Lord of the house who built the house, you and me, who saved us, says, I will raise you up on the last day. The son provides for us in a way that the servant could not. You tracking? Moses as a servant could not be a propitiatory sacrifice. Moses didn't have an all-sufficient merit. He was dependent on the all-sufficient merit of Christ. Even though he lived in time before Christ, the cross is retroactive and proactive. Everybody that has been or ever will be saved is saved only by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So, Moses couldn't provide us with that. Moses could not provide the people of Israel a guarantee that I will bring you to the land. In fact, Moses didn't bring them into the land. He disobeyed God one time. And God said, nope, you're not going to bring my people in. And I think that was, I think Moses is in heaven. But he didn't enter the land. He didn't bring the people into the land. Why? Because he wasn't the builder of the house. He wasn't the son. That's why Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus provides for us in a way that Moses could not. Here's the evidence of that. John chapter 1, verse 14 I want you to turn there. Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 14. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, but I think it's worth us looking at. Keep your finger in Hebrews too, as well. <clears throat> what is our confidence and what is our hopeful boast in Christ that we are going to hold fast to because he has promised to raise us up on the last day. We're going to look at two scriptures that will, and then we're going to sum it up in Hebrews. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh. What is our greatest need? To hear from God. So our apostle came. Tracking? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, how many of you know John was great? John the Baptist? He was great. But John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. In other words, John the Baptist was part of the house. Jesus built a house. 
For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than Moses because Jesus built the house. Because Jesus created Moses and Moses, as well as us, as well as John the Baptist, as well as Peter and John, were created by Jesus and for Jesus. We are all servants like Moses in his house. Jesus is the son over the house. Thus, as the son, he provides for us what Moses could not. What no preacher can provide. Grace and truth. Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 39. Acts 13, verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him... Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The law, what did we just sing? I told you our songs exegeted this text. The law could never save us. Our lawlessness had won. But all sufficient merit did what I could not. The son provides. Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, I want you to see the connection and the flow of thought here in Hebrews. We've been telling you and encouraging you, read through the whole book. Go back and read through it. Then consider the text that we're in and keep reading and keep reading and keep reading and notice because the author of Hebrews, Paul, Paul tends to work like this. Roman numeral one, subpoint A, B, C, D, right? This is how the author of Hebrew does. Banner headline, circle around, circle out, circle back, go out, circle back. This is, what, this is the way Hebrews works, and I think it's not beyond us. We just need to see it all start to connect. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read through chapter 3, verse 6 as our benediction, and I want you to feel this. We need to feel this. This is instruction to us, but it also has this poetic nature to it, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that I think we're supposed to feel the greatness of Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise partook of the same things, the same things that Moses was, we are, Peter was, John was, David was, flesh and blood. Jesus partook of that. Uh, He partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We talked about this last week. All of our fears, all of our temptations are really rooted in one thing the fear of death, but Christ has set us free from that. 
For surely it is not to angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to come to the help of those who are being tempted. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, you're not saved because you turned over a new leaf. You're not saved because you made a decision for Jesus. You're not saved because you decided to improve your moral behavior. You're saved because you've been called. You're saved because you've heard from God. You've heard from God in Christ, the Son, and therefore you've been made holy. Holy brothers, you're saints to God because he called you to himself in his son who made all sufficient merit. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. You're never going to grow up out of your need to consider him. The apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. But Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. In these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, who is the radiance of his glory, and the exact imprint of his nature, Jesus Christ is God the Son. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. How many of you are confident and boast in your hope in Christ this morning? Now, let me give you a little teaser for next week. Keep your Bibles open. This isn't on the screen, but verse 7, therefore, right? What's happening? (laughs) Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. In other words, if you haven't considered Jesus, you're not going to be able to ignore him forever. And the author of Hebrews is going to say, while the opportunity remains, consider Jesus who is the high priest and the apostle of our confession. He is our confidence and he is the boasting of our hope. Consider him. If you have considered him and you are a believer, consider him all the more. (laughs) Let your needs fall into the background and look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. You know what perfect means? We talked about that. Bring to the right end. You will hold your confidence to the end. You will hold fast. 
But if you haven't considered him, while the opportunity remains, consider him. Because in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. He's, not, he's more than a servant. He's more than a prophet. He's greater than angels. He is God the son. And he is the only way to have right relationship with the living God. So repent, bow your knee, and confess Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we need help with this. We might think that considering Jesus is something that believers just do. No, we don't. We're tempted to neglect a great salvation. We're tempted to drift away. Don't let us fall into that temptation. But lead us by your spirit through your word to consider Jesus all the more, the high priest and apostle of our confession. Lord, for those among us that might not have considered Jesus at all, maybe they've been intrigued, but they haven't surrendered. I pray that you would grant them repentance and saving faith, that you would rebirth them by the power of your spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, and that you would instill in them a confession, a confidence, and a boasting of hope that they will hold fast to the end, that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God, and he has made propitiation for our sins. Do that work, I pray. Do that miracle among us. And we ask this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Let all God's people say it. Amen. I love you. I'll see you next week. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z-Faith.com, where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.